You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. I'd invite you this afternoon to turn in your Bibles to the first chapter of Hebrews. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have become your father? Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. In speaking of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds, his servants flames of fire. But about the sun, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever, and righteousness will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wicked. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. He also says, in the beginning, O Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe, like a garment. They will be changed, but you remain the same, and your years will never end. To which of the angels did God ever say, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? Our text this afternoon, as we remember the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ into heaven, comes from Philippians chapter 2, the verses 5 through 11. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Dear congregation of our ascended and exalted Lord, Jesus Christ, Ascension Day is a day for praising and exalting the risen Lord. And that's good because He's worthy of all praise. He has done all for us, and now He is at the place of highest honor in the universe. He is the risen and ascended King. Philippians 2 verse 5 says your attitude should be like His. We're talking about having an ascension day attitude. 
Now, if I was to say your attitude should be the same as the highest and most glorified person who has ever walked the face of the earth, and you did not know that I was referring to Jesus, then you might get me wrong. You might be confused. You might miss the point. You see, when we sinners are given honors, it tends to make us proud to make us self-seeking and arrogant. In fact, you could say that one of the greatest problems facing the church today, as it always has been, is this fact, that we are proud and arrogant and self-seeking people. The people in Philippi were a proud people. They lived in a great city, a city that had been given many honors by the Roman emperor. They were used to asserting themselves. They were used to thinking highly of themselves. They were used to pointing out their rights. I am a citizen of Rome. That task is below me. I don't need to act like that. I don't need to do that. That was the attitude of the people of Philippi and of many people today. But this sort of attitude is death to the church. It divides us. And it destroys us. But Paul does not point us to any sort of proud, self-seeking, or arrogant man who was given honors. He points us to the God-man, Jesus Christ. And when Paul points us to the attitude of Jesus Christ, he's pointing us to an attitude that does not seek glory, but gives it up. He's pointing to an attitude not of self-aggrandizement, but of service. Jesus Christ had it all, but he was willing to give it up, to become low, so that through his becoming low, we might be lifted up. He humbled himself to build up the church. And through his being lifted up, we learn that we are to bow our knees and make ourselves low before him. So that's our sermon this afternoon. The Ascension Day Attitude Adjustment. That's what Paul calls us to. Or you could put it in plain terms. Your attitude should be like that of Jesus Christ, the Ascended Lord. He was humble and obedient. And therefore, God raised him up. The Ascension Day Attitude Adjustment is to be like Jesus Christ. He was humble and obedient. Therefore, God exalted him. So Jesus Christ, his attitude that we are to emulate as we serve him was one of humility and obedience. When we look at our text here this afternoon, we need to remember verse 5. If we miss verse 5, then this whole piece becomes something that it really isn't. It speaks about Christ in the highest terms. From this passage, we learn so much about who the Lord Jesus is. We learn about Christology. We learn about His preeminence. We learn about His glory and majesty. We learn about His divinity. We learn about His incarnation. We learn all sorts of wonderful things about the Lord. But that is not the driving thrust of this of this passage. The thrust of it is verse 5. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. 
all that he is. We need to learn about who he is, Paul is saying, so that we might have the same attitude as him. And this attitude is that which fosters unity, joy, and progress in the church. Just as Jesus Christ sacrificed himself and became obedient for the sake of the church, so we're called to do the same thing. This exalted piece of writing, a a hymn or a poem, or whatever exactly it is, moves us from Christ's original position through His humiliation to His exaltation and glorification. It moves in that way for a certain reason. In the first part, we're told about the glory of His original position so that we might be able to appreciate better His humility in giving it all up for our sake. So what was that exalted position of Jesus Christ? Well, verse 6 begins by saying literally that Jesus Christ was in the form of God. That's what it says in the text note there. The NIV says, who was in very nature God. And that's what that's getting at. God as He is manifested. God as He is. Well, God manifests himself, the the form, the image of God in the Old Testament is glory. Is glory. Consider that when Moses asked to see God, he asks to see his glory. Consider that when the people of, of God gathered around the tabernacle and then later around the temple, see God come into the temple, they see his glory fill the temple. The appearance of God is glory, radiance, bright, shining glory. While Jesus Christ was the glory of God. As Hebrews says, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. This fits perfectly with what Paul says here. Jesus was clothed, as it were, with the glory of the Father, the glory of the Godhead, the glory of divinity. All that God was in His majesty and splendor, the sort of majesty and splendor that could not be shown, otherwise people would perish before it, that was Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ shared in and expressed the glory of the Father, and He was also equal to the Father, Paul says. He was not lower than God the Father, or less worthy of praise. He was always equal to the Father. He shared His glory, His majesty, His splendor. All the praise that could be attributed to God could be attributed to the pre-incarnate Christ. That is the position that He had. But Jesus, though He had that all, did not consider it something to be grasped something to be hung on to for the sake of itself, something to be maintained. Jesus Christ was not concerned for His own glory. He had it all, but He was not concerned for His own glory. He was concerned about the Father's glory. We see that in verse 11. He was willing to give it all up. And that's exactly what He did. He emptied Himself. That's what it says in verse 7. He made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. 
the glory and majesty that was his with the Father, that is what he took off and what he left behind. He did not come to earth with his divine glory. He took the form of a servant. Before he had the form of God in all its glory, now he took the form of a servant with no glory. He emptied himself so that there was no glory or majesty, no beauty that should attract us to him, as Isaiah 53 says. What appearance he now possessed was that of a servant, of a slave, of one who has no status for himself. One who is not even free on his own. He's a servant, a humble and lowly person. He was made in the likeness of a man that sits parallel to a servant. It's talking about his humility, his humiliation. Something of the humiliation of Jesus Christ from that highest place to the lowest is pictured in his becoming a man. Well, part of that humiliation reminds us of the humble beginnings of mankind himself. That Adam was formed out of the dust of the ground. Part of it all Part of it is also the fact that when Jesus became a man, he was, he was subject to the weaknesses and to the inherent limitations of being a mankind. Instead of being God in glory, all present, all powerful, he had to walk everywhere he wanted to go, just like everyone else. He got tired after a long day's journey. He grew hungry. He was subject to the limitations that we experience in this body. The incarnation of Jesus Christ was a deeply humiliating experience. More humiliating than any movement that we can can do or even think of. If the Queen of England ended up living on the streets of the downtown east side of Vancouver, it would not compare to what Jesus Christ did in taking the form of a servant and becoming a man. He had it all but he was willing to give it up. This is the attitude that we ought to have. Being willing to give up ourselves for the sake of others. Now, this is not something that we do naturally. Instead, we find out what sets us apart from others, what makes us better, and we cling to that. We're a proud people. We might not be good at everything, we think, but we're good at something. There's something that makes us better than the others and we cling to that thing. Have you ever seen a very proud person put in a position where they're going to become undignified, which would be very awkward for them? Can you imagine the Queen of England on the streets of Vancouver without a bodyguard, without any servants looking after her, just walking down the sidewalk? It will never happen. It will, she will avoid it at all costs. No one will let that happen to her. But that's not what the Lord Jesus did. The Lord Jesus did something on a cosmic scale that, that cannot be approached by any of us. He didn't cling to not just the glory of, of headship, of being the head of a state, of being a king or a queen of some small country here on the earth, but the glory of being eternal God. He did not cling to. And so he became a man. Not only a man, but a servant. 
He was humble. And he was obedient. He was obedient even to the point of death. He was not obedient to death. You couldn't misread the the translation here in verse 8. He became obedient to death. That's not death was his master. But he became obedient to the point of death. Jesus obeyed God throughout his whole life. My will, he said, my, my bread is to do the will of the Father. Jesus' humility was not empty or phony humility. It was true humility because it was it was coupled with obedience. He not only made himself low, but he was obedient as well, and he filled out that humility. Because you see, humility and obedience go hand in hand. Humility without obedience is pretentious and phony. It's It's a facade. It's not real humility. It's the sort of mindset that's popular these days, the mindset that denies standards of morality and says instead that all that matters is is not thinking that you're right, not putting yourself over others in any way, but having compassion and care. It's a sort of humility, but it's not coupled with obedience. And so it's a false humility because you end up thinking you're better than other people because you're more caring and more compassionate. On the other side, obedience without humility is no good either. That's legalism. That's where your works foster pride and you you look down your nose at others because you're more obedient than they are. Rather than being humble, then, your obedience to the rules makes you proud. But the Lord Jesus shows to us another way, between these two ways, the way of humble obedience and of obedient humility. The way of bowing your neck under the yoke of Christ and giving yourself to Him in service, in obeying Him. Jesus Christ shows us the way out of empty compassion and out of proud obedience, the way of humble obedience to God the Father in all things. And the Lord Jesus showed this obedience to the fullest extent, even to death on a cross. Now, the full measure of of this obedience and of this humility and of this really shame is hard for us to imagine and to get a sense of today. Because the cross is for us something that that we hold up, that we put on our churches, that we even sometimes wear. The cross is not a symbol of shame in our culture, but it certainly was in the time of Jesus The cross was a status symbol in Roman times, a symbol of humiliation and curse. Consider that in in many cultures, martyrs are revered and honored. You can think of the Christian martyrs who, who went to the lions. The other Christians who saw them go revered them and honored them. And they even spoke about wanting to go to the lions for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. Or you can even think in our day of political revolutionaries who are killed by by dictators in in some countries. Those people are, are given honor by others who see them do that. But before Jesus was nailed to the cross, there was no honor given to anyone who went to the cross. It was pure shame for everyone. For a Roman, it was the worst possible treatment. For a Jew, 
It was a curse from God Himself. It was such a cruel and horrible way to die that there was only shame and scandal in going to the cross. Nobody was honored for it. But that was the point of obedience to which Jesus Christ went in His humility, in His obedience to God, and for us. Now, God doesn't call us to go to the point of crucifixion, but He calls us to take up our cross and follow Jesus. That means that we have to be willing, that we have to be ever giving ourselves up, ever heading to death, ever grabbing hold of the shame that was Christ and making it ours. It means being obedient to God even in the things that the world finds shameful. It means that when we gather together for worship on Sunday and everyone thinks that's a waste of time, that we do it anyways. It means that we obey the elders of the church, which other people think is ridiculous, but we do it anyways because that's how God has chosen to govern us. It means submitting under the headship of your husband. It means doing the dirty jobs that nobody else wants to do. It means that even if you're the most honored person in your family, in your company, in your circle of friends, that you're not afraid to help out the lowly, the poor, the person who needs help, and to make yourself look silly while you're doing it. But this doesn't make us better than others, this way of obedience. We obey as servants of the Lord. With a humble spirit and an obedient will, we follow the way that was marked out for us by the Lord Jesus Christ in His life. He gave up eternal glory and majesty in order to build up His church. We ought to give up whatever we can to help to build up His church. The Philippian church was not a church that was being ripped apart by errors or persecutions. It was a church whose biggest problem was the fact that it was made up of sinners who would easily fight, disagree, and lose focus on serving Christ's kingdom. We're a lot like that church in Philippi, made up of a bunch of sinners. So what are we to do? How can we work together for the sake of Christ and His kingdom? Well, we go to what the Apostle Paul gives us here, where he unloads the highest and most profound Christology in the entire New Testament to provide us with the answer. See who He is? Be like Him. Do you understand the glory that was His? Do you know the heights from which He descended? Do you know the full extent of his obedience, even to death on a cross? Do you want to know how we can build up a strong church? How we can serve the Lord and advance his kingdom and glory? Then be like him, our Lord Jesus Christ. He was humble and obedient, and therefore God exalted him. 
This is the great turning point and mystery of God way, God's ways. That Jesus Christ follows that way of humility and obedience to the point of death on the cross, to humiliation and scandal. And in the wisdom of God, this becomes His glory. And that's the message of Ascension Day. Because of all Christ did in His humility, God raised Him up to His right hand in glory. Christ's ascension into heaven was not simply His removal from the earth for a period of time, or even a return to His former glory. It was the start of something new, of the new kingdom of God, of the new covenant era. In His ascension, Jesus Christ went to the right hand of the throne of God in heaven, the place of power and glory, to set into motion the next stage of God's redemptive plan, where He would build up His church and He would bless the world through them. God exalted Him and gave Him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee would bow and tongue confess. Now as we come to verse 10, that at the name of Jesus, there are different opinions about what exactly that name of Jesus is. You could read it sort of literally and say that at the name of Jesus, so the name Jesus, every knee would bow in heaven and on earth. That's not the view that I hold I believe that the name of Jesus is that name that's, that comes up in verse 11. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That Jesus Christ is Yahweh to the ears of the Jewish person. And it's probably that because these words are very reminiscent of Isaiah 45. In Isaiah 45, the name that is given is the name of Yahweh. In Isaiah 45, every knee bows and every tongue confesses before the name of Yahweh. And every tongue confesses, in Yahweh alone are righteousness and strength. In verse 22 of that passage, God says, I am God and there is no other. So those who are bowing and confessing are doing it before the only God, before Yahweh. And the name that is above every name, of course, every Jewish person would have known. The name that is above every name, of course. That's the name of the Lord. That's the name Yahweh. But that's sort of a, a side discussion from this all, because it is talking about that Jesus Christ is fully God and fully Lord. But again, that's not the point. The point is that every knee bows and every tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord. God exalted Jesus Christ in the highest way, and we ought to exalt Him in our hearts as well. He is at the highest place in the universe. He has the name above all names. He receives worship and adoration and confession. That is Jesus Christ. That is who we serve as we walk in humility and obedience before Him. But remember, that verse 5 stated, your attitude should be like that of Jesus Christ. So does that mean that we will be exalted like Him? Does that mean that we should serve in order to receive glory? Well, no. We should not serve to receive glory. That's not what Jesus did. 
And that's not what Paul is saying here. But yet at the same time, we can remember this, that the Bible is clear about the principle that if you humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, He will lift you up. James 1 verse 10, humble yourselves before the Lord and He will lift you up. 1 Peter 5 verse 5, humble yourselves therefore before God's mighty hand and He will lift you up in due time. What this is saying is that we can expect that our obedient service is not going to go unnoticed. God is a good master. He's not just, he's not just using us and then he's going to cast us away. No. He's using us and in doing so he's building us up. He's renewing us and he's giving us honor that we had not known before to the point that we can speak about our glorification. We will one day be with Christ in glory. The end of this road of service is with our Lord. As we follow Him in His humiliation, we will follow Him in His glorification. We will one day be with Christ, and as we have tried to reflect His humble attitude in this life, we will reflect His glory and majesty in the new heavens and the new earth. But in all that, And until that day, our purpose is not glory for ourselves. Even then it will not be. Our purpose is the same as that of Jesus Christ. The same as it was in His humiliation and in His exaltation. Two different positions of glory could could hardly be imagined. From, From death on a cross to exaltation at the right hand of God. And yet His purpose was the same throughout. What was it? to the glory of God the Father. As we mark the ascension into heaven of our Lord and Savior, who was raised up at the right hand of God the Father, we need to understand His purpose in everything in order to adjust our attitude to be like His. Our Lord Jesus Christ gave it all up, and then He was highly exalted, all for the same purpose, for the glory of God the Father. He lived that God might be glorified. He died that God might be glorified. He was raised up that God might be glorified. And He ascended into heaven that God might be glorified. He is the Lord for the glory of God, the Father. And when we take the same attitude as Him, then we serve the glory of God, the Father, in everything. When you serve to strengthen the church, when you make yourself look silly for the sake of someone else to help them, when you obey the way of truth, when you work for the unity and the joy and the progress of believers, then you're serving the glory of God the Father in heaven. And you're following the way marked out for you by Jesus Christ. Paul calls on us to take the humble route, to bow our knees and to confess with our tongues, Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is my Lord and I will serve Him to the glory of God the Father. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, 
please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.